0: Hey, this is Lisa, and you're listening to I Love That Movie. And if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can listen, you can find me under A-Y-A-Lisa Cosplay. I'm also on Instagram under A-Y-A-N as a Nancy, A-M-I, Lisa. And I've got a closed Facebook group called I Love That Movie. It's just a safe space for movie lovers to discuss their favorite films judgment-free. Just send me a request and I'll add you. Uh, also, if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. Uh, if you leave a positive review on iTunes, you're automatically entered to win a $20 gift card to a movie theater chain of your choice. So leave one today. And I have a returning guest with me here today. I have Zachy. Say hi.
1: Hey.
0: It's so good to have you back. We've talked about this episode for a really long time. <laughs>
1: it's, it's been a long time coming, so hopefully it uh, lives up to uh, your anticipation. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Great. I'm sure it will. Um, so so before we go forward, Zachy, what movie are we talking about today?
1: Uh, we're talking about The Godfather.
0: Yes, I think a part of me put this off because there's just so much weight attached to that.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm honored that that you chose me to be the the, the person to talk about this with.
0: So, before we get started, uh, when did you first see this movie? How did you see it?
1: So i I saw The Godfather in October of 2001, and okay. it it was um, when they released the films on DVD. For the first time and they came out of the box set you know it was one of, it was always one of those things that i'd heard about no oh, you know everybody everybody like knows you should watch the godfather movies and i just never got around to it so this was my opportunity to do that so i uh you know I, I bought the box set and i had never seen them before other than a few clips here and there so i watched them all uh, uh, all three of them in the span of maybe two weeks and uh, in including the the commentary tracks with with francis ford coppola oh and nice Yeah. And, and, you know, I've said this elsewhere. Uh, I, the, these movies came out on uh, DVD at the beginning of my last year of film school. And if they'd come out sooner, especially with those commentaries, I wouldn't have needed to go to film school because everything I needed was in those, you know, nine hours of Francis Coppola talking about making uh, these movies.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, I think I think I was an, I know was an adult, I think it was probably in college. I know I give that answer a lot, but I think it was one of the assigned movies to watch. And um, again, I wish I could go back in time and be a more focused student <laughs> because it's like sometimes when you have so many, you're, you know, I was really, really uh, lazy and just basically waited till the last minute. And then I would try to cram all these movies in. And that's like not the way to watch classic cinema. For sure. um, but Regardless, it's such a good film. Um, It's one of the ones that stands out the most to me from that time. Uh, I really loved it. So, uh, you know, it's it it is uh, does have a longer runtime. So it is one of those movies that I can't say that I've watched, you know, a 100 times or something. But I can say that every single time I've seen it, it's been an experience. And it's just like, how have I not watched this again? You (laughs) know, recently, more recently. Um, Zaki, I kind of skipped over your introduction. I'm so sorry. I think I just got too excited.
1: Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Can you introduce yourself a little bit to the audience in case they haven't heard you on previous episodes? Uh,
1: Well, my name is Zaki Hassan, and I am a professor of communication and media studies here in the San Francisco Bay Area. I teach uh, media uh, theory at San Jose State University and I have been a professional film critic for uh, more than 20 years at this point. And uh, The Godfather is one of my all-time favorite movies.
0: Yeah, I think it's a it's a favorite for a reason. It's it's, it's one of those movies that everyone tells you to watch. Yes. And you're like, ah, okay, fine. And then when you do, you're like, oh, it's definitely <laughs> a, an aha moment.
1: <laughs> Very much so.
0: Yeah. Well, before we get uh, further into this, I want to read the synopsis really quick here. And then we'll kind of dive into a couple of quick facts and stuff. So uh, here we go. The uh, synopsis of The Godfather. Widely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time, this mob drama based on Mario Puzo's novel of the same name focuses on the powerful Italian crime family of Don Vito Corleone. When the Don's youngest son, Michael, reluctantly joins the mafia, he becomes involved in the inevitable cycle of violence and betrayal. Although Michael tries to maintain a normal relationship with his wife Kay, he's drawn deeper into the family business. Yep, that's there. it in a nutshell. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> there we go. Overly simplified, but uh so let me throw in a couple quick facts and then if you, I'm sure we could we could really just talk about quick facts for two hours, but if you have a couple quick facts too, uh, go ahead and jump in. Uh, The first one I have is that Al Pacino boycotted the Academy Awards ceremony, angry that he was not nominated for Best Actor, or he was angry that he was nominated for Best Actor, but in a supporting role, uh, noting that his character actually had more screen time than his co-star and Best Actor winner, Marlon
1: Brando. I actually didn't know that he had, I, I didn't know that he had boycotted. That's actually pretty interesting.
0: Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> one, one new fact. Yeah. I thought, you know, it is true that he has more screen time, but I don't know. You can't really deny the weight that Marlon Brando has in this movie. And so I don't know. That's kind of a, that, that was interesting to me. Like he, he, Al Pacino was so young at the time. I felt almost like he should have just been lucky he was there yeah. <laughs> almost like, um, and obviously he does such an incredible job in the, in the movie. But yeah, I just thought that was, that was interesting, especially since, you know, um, I was checking to see this isn't one of my other quick facts, but especially since Marlon Brando didn't go to the Oscars, right? So that's right uh, to get his award. But anyway, we'll 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 get more into that later. Um, (laughs) I also had that according to Francis Ford Coppola, the film took sixty-two days to shoot.
1: That sounds about right.
0: Yeah, because he came in under budget, right? And like you know, they threatened him like the whole process of this movie, but. He did it like on time and under budget.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he he was under the gun the entire time. I mean, he's told a story about, you know, being in the restroom and, and, you know, having crew members come in and just talking crap about him.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's so awful.
1: Yeah and and it really like the the reason for that is he was hired for one reason only and it wasn't cuz of his filmography it was cuz he was mm-hmm. Italian American and the studio wanted to be able to cover their butt and say hey we we hired somebody who's ethnically appropriate uh
0: yeah you know and and also he was in a lot of debt right he he made that yeah. movie with uh with George Lucas and it didn't do well and so that he was pretty much like at their mercy it's like whatever project they gave him was what he was going to do yeah um, and they needed to do it really cheap because they because of that big loss
1: i mean that's when when you look at the uh, the the way uh, george lucas and francis coppola's career have intertwined uh you realize how each of them needed each other to reach their highest creative peaks because if not for lucas the godfather wouldn't happen if not for coppola star wars wouldn't have happened i mean it's it's mm-hmm. kind of amazing
0: yeah the, the other quick fact I had was that uh, Sergio Leone was approached to direct the film, but he turned it down because he felt the story glorified the mafia too much. Yeah. Um, he later regretted, of course, uh, it, but would go, go on to direct his critically acclaimed gangster film Once Upon a Time in America, which I haven't seen, but I, I really, really want to.
1: <laughs> That's a good one, too. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, so do you have any other quick things you want to throw in?
1: Oh, my gosh. I mean... It- <laughs>
0: The, the, <laughs> I know it's kind of overwhelming.
1: Well, it's you know I, I think one thing that's worth worth recognizing is that you know uh, uh, um, they bought the film rights to the book before the mm-hmm. book had even come out. Uh, you know Robert Evans knew just just uh, uh, from the from the premise that yeah. uh, this was going to be something exceptional. So so there was no bidding war after the book came out because it, it was already locked up.
0: Oh wow! No, I didn't know that. That's interesting. I knew, I felt that um, this is one of those movies that, you know, you hear a lot of people throw around the idea today, like, oh, that, that got nominated because it's a, you know, politically relevant right now or culturally (laughs) relevant and they get all upset about it. But then there's movies like this, which I feel like that's the, that's a big reason why it it did so well at the time. It was really relevant to what was going on and That carries a lot of weight. It carries a lot of meaning. I don't know. I mean, obviously, no matter what time period this movie came out in, it would have a a, an impact because it's a great film. But I think what was going on at the time politically in New York, it just oh, there's just so much about the history of it that even while it's being made, that has a big impact, and and you can't deny that about it, you know.
1: Yeah. Well, and and I think uh, in in that sense, I mean, we're we're coming up on 50 years since it came out, and the fact that. Uh, copeland did such a great job of making it feel timeless so even though Mm -hmm. it's a period film it doesn't look like a 70s movie about the 50s you know it's it it, you could if you told me it was made 10 years ago i'd believe you
0: right no i completely agree i think a lot of that too comes from the look of the film as well because it doesn't like look 70s you know in in fact to the point where the studio didn't like it you know they didn't like the way that it was being shot that all those dark shadows and i mean it's just so cool even now (laughs) and it's like uh they they were like oh this is too dark like they just completely didn't get it um and and i think when movies take big risks like that just with the look of it and the feel it, it does end up making them even more timeless because it's so unique
1: yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, I, I think that you, you can you can see the version of this movie with zoom lenses mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, a, sort of a Serpico-looking uh, version, and maybe that would be good, right? But it wouldn't be the godfather that we have. It wouldn't be this beloved artifact that uh, has become this annuity that's just passed on from generations of film lovers to the next generation, you know?
0: Oh, definitely. And, and I agree with you, too. The story is so personal because it's really... Centered so much on a a father and his son that it it makes that world, the mafia world, relatable in a way that a lot of other mafia movies don't try to at all. I mean, maybe they do after this movie, but I don't feel like before this movie they did. So that's another thing I, I totally agree that makes it so effective.
1: Yeah. I, I think that, um, you know, I, I said this uh, uh, just actually a couple of weeks ago, I was on another show and we were talking about the, the Godfather and, and I said, I think the key thing is that the, because it is so insular, right? It, this is a story about the Corleone family versus other mob families, right? Mm-hmm. So we don't have the objective lens of, uh, you know, law enforcement trying to get the, the, the Corleones. Right. And so as a result, our, our sensibility is skewed in favor of these people who we're spending the most time with. So we like the Corleones because they're our guys.
0: Right. And yeah. they're better
1: than those other bad guys. <laughs> right. Right. But there's no, you know, when you think about it, like the only law enforcement in The Godfather is uh, uh, McCluskey, mm-hmm. who's a corrupt cop. But we never have that objective cop who's like, oh, well, these guys are bad.
0: Right. No, you're you're completely right. It's like there's good guys but only in the context of their perspective, yeah. <laughs> not not from an objective point of view at all. Uh, yeah. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I don't know, I I tend to like the the mob movies that are like that though. Yeah. I think sometimes when the good guys are like a little too good or uh a little too on the outside, then I have trouble with, you know, picking a team or caring as much, but when you I guess when you focus so much on just them, I I tend to like those movies more. Than yeah, you know, favorite.
1: it's it's interesting because because you know a film that uh, is beloved by many, for example, is, is Scarface, right? The, the Al Pacino mm-hmm. Scarface, and and I, I don't mind that movie, but I don't. Uh, I that's that's always been my barrier to entry is that I find, uh, you know, Sonny Montana a really vile character.
0: Right. I think I've actually, I haven't seen that movie either because I feel like I've, I've actively avoided it Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm like, it just doesn't seem, it doesn't grab me the way that this movie did. And it's like, even just knowing the premise, I'm, I'm like, eh, I don't know. It just seems like it's, you know, I don't get the sense in this movie that it's glorifying violence, although it's yeah. very violent and they pushed for violence in this movie that The studio right. did, but it, that's not the takeaway. Whereas I feel like that movie, it, it kind of is. It's
1: yeah, like focusing I focusing
0: mean, on the wrong thing.
1: Yeah. I, right. I, I mean, I think I think the distinction. Right. If you're going to compare The Godfather and Scarface, the God The Godfather is about a good man who becomes a bad man mm-hmm. through the best of intentions, whereas Scarface is about a bad man who becomes a worse man. You're like, well,
0: okay, I I can see that. Yeah, it's (laughs) like with The Godfather, you have a window into like, how could anyone join the mob? Why would they do that? And what would lead them down this path? And you you get to see that and then you put yourself in his shoes. With Scarface, I can't imagine (laughs) being that person. So it (laughs) it makes him less relatable. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, uh, so there's so many people to cover in this movie. I kind of think maybe we should just dive in. How Let's do you do feel about that? Okay, uh, I'll I'll let you take the lead because you, I'm sure, have seen this more many more times than I have. So um, go ahead and talk about your favorite scenes. It can be chronological or out of order; It doesn't matter. Let's just dive in.
1: Oh my gosh! Okay, well, you know, <laughs> so you know, w- one thing uh, I'm very grateful uh, to do as a teacher is I get to screen this every semester for my students. So for the past ten years, I've watched The Godfather twice a year.
0: That's awesome. I love that because it's like – kind of like when you do for – when I do for this this podcast, one thing I like about going back and seeing some of my favorite films is I have a hard time finding the time. No matter how much I like the movies, I'm like, oh, well, I got – to do some laundry and I got to do this and I got to do that. But when it's assigned to me, like I have to watch it so we can talk about it. <laughs> right. I, I free myself of the guilt of, you know, having other things to do. So I feel like you get a better experience and then you're thinking about it in a different way. You're like, I've got to talk about this later. So I've really got to pay attention. So seeing it twice a year, I mean, man, you must have such an interesting perspective on a lot of this stuff because you've seen it so many times and you know you have to talk about it right after.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, well, and it, I'll tell you what's great is... I, I know which points to sort of look up at my kids and see how they're reacting, you know, because I know mm-hmm. the moments that they're gonna respond to. Right. Always, There's a lot you know, of them. <laughs> there there are, you know, and, and it and it's it's you know, to me, it's always very telling, like when Sonny is ambushed on the causeway, mm-hmm. and you know, you have that moment where he's stuck and then and then you know, we and he both find out what's about to happen. And without exception, everyone in the audience is like <gasps>
0: yeah yeah i found myself doing that because i haven't <laughs> i haven't seen it in a while like in years and so when i sat down and watched it i just kept going oh my god oh i forgot about that part it's like for for it being you know a longer movie and for a lot of it being mostly dialogue the action sequences in the film are just really good they're surprising and they're not like drawn out there's no slow somebody falling to the ground or yeah. you know what i mean but they're they are feel real yeah. yeah exactly they get point and they feel real and i think sometimes in some filmmaking uh you know they'll drag scenes like this out and it's it loses something when you do that it loses the impact of how surprising it is you know the the violence in the film always pretty much comes at a surprise yeah um and so you lose impact when you build up to it too much and that one that scene in particular really catches you off guard
1: well and, and it's great because when you think about it like this it goes to what we were talking about earlier like i mean in any other movie sunny is the villain
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. He's I mean,
1: awful. He's a, he's a bad guy, you know. And yet, in this movie, no, no, that he's our. That's our guy. You don't. You know. You don't yeah. do that to him. That's that's our guy. You know. And it's, I mean, he cheats <laughs> on his wife. He's abusive. he's You know. He's he's racist. He. I mean, it's he's got a laundry list of really questionable traits, but he's still one of ours.
0: Right. They knew that he was going to react.
1: They they knew in a how big to. Way. Yeah. It's it's. You know what's funny is is the the this is the 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 way fate works in this film is so fascinating right because everything starts it's all because of Sonny that's the when you look at Michael's arc it's all because of something he had nothing to do with it's all because there it's it's the dawn and it's Sonny meeting with uh Salozo mm-hmm. and Salozo's like I want I want to uh, you know I want to cut you guys in and we're going to do some drugs and I can guarantee your investment and Sonny Sonny says, so you're telling... He just says that. You're telling me... And then the Don cuts him off. Yeah. He doesn't even spit out his sentence. But that moment was... That was just enough for Salozo to say, the Don might not be on board, Sonny would be on board.
0: Right. And he created every, the conflict. <laughs>
1: every, isn't that amazing? Every single thing that happens in the film, every, you know, the Don's assassination attempt, uh, Michael, everything that happens to Michael, Sonny's own death, is because he couldn't keep his mouth shut for that split second.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Isn't that amazing?
0: Yeah, that's that. That's really interesting. Yeah, I. Uh, uh, yeah, I feel like in, in a lot of the characters in this movie, they they create their own destiny. Like you're saying, it, it is interesting the way it plays out. Um, but that character in particular being the, the centerpiece of it all. But and he's also well, he's not the oldest son, he's like the second to oldest. Is that right?
1: Uh no, Sonny's the oldest and then oh, he's the oldest, okay. Because he looks the old-,
0: old like younger than the other guy does. I can't remember his name though. Let me
1: look. Uh Fredo.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I guess just because he's losing his hair, maybe he just Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fredo's the
1: middle, and then it's Michael, and then Connie's the youngest.
0: Okay, okay, okay. Um, yeah, I, uh, he's, he's the character though, that should be the Dom, you know, like kind of in the beginning sort of think that that's what's going to happen because he's closest to the father, but then he's just so awful. (laughs) Yeah. There's just no way.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's the inevitability of Michael ascending to the throne and and the tragedy of it is that he's the one who is most clear-eyed about what the family does he's the one who right up top is like that's my family it's not me
0: yeah so, so he, in the end that's all he is yeah
1: <laughs> you know i mean that's the thing is he unlike unlike Sonny, he hasn't bought in to to what the family's mm-hmm. doing right he has no illusions about it and yet you see like what it comes down to is that moment when he's in the hospital and he's trying to save his dad's life, and he says, "I'm I'm here. I'm with you." You know, and it's right. like, uh, you know, when you when you think about it, like history turns on these moments of what we think of as the best of intentions. And for him, what what is a better intention than I don't want my father to be assassinated? I want to save my father's life. That's why he 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 essentially sacrifices his entire life on that.
0: Right. Yeah, and you see in those moments how he's so much smarter and so much more level-headed than the rest of his family. It's like, I think that part of it too is also inevitable that he would be the leader, even if he doesn't want to be, he just naturally has those qualities whether he likes it or not. Yeah, Um, He doesn't fly off the, the handle like Sonny does. You know, he doesn't act like the other, he doesn't act in his own best interest. He's acting in the interest of his, his father and his family. Exactly.
1: You know, and, and I think it's, you know, it's, you know when you look at how Pacino uh, approaches the role right I think I think he plays it as the exact polar opposite of Sonny where when when is pissed he starts yelling when Michael's pissed he gets quiet
0: mm-hmm. and you it's know? scarier it is. <laughs> I think it's interesting. I wanted to throw in too, you know, and uh, I'm sure you've, you've talked about and and heard about that, you know, the studio didn't want Al Pacino to play Michael at all. They thought they were like, like we hear all the time. And one of my pet peeves that people always bring up with casting choices. Oh, he's too short. He's too small. Blah, blah, blah. There's no way. I'm like, he's an actor. This is a part, you know, and, and also, I think the fact that he is smaller and he is younger, I mean, he looks baby faced compared to his brothers. And I think that that's what makes this transition more believable is seeing him go from like this young, nice guy to the Dom. And what's impressive about that is that this guy can play both. He can look innocent and kind, and then he can be an evil, you know, mafia boss. Yeah. And I think, He's there's nobody I don't I can't even think about anybody else. It could be him like he's perfect. I mean, I mean,
1: who else could possibly have been a Michael Corleone back then? You
0: know? Yeah. They
1: they wanted they wanted Robert Redford. The studio did. Which if that's not a window into studio thinking, I don't know what is, you
0: know? Right. And, And and also, I think it's good to have had Al Pacino at the time because he wasn't super well known. So you're kind of I don't know, I think when you pick an actor that's too popular, um, then you already have an idea of who they are even before the movie starts. And then it's sort of working against you, you know, like he's going to end up being a bad guy. Right. But if it's Robert Redford, you're like, oh, I guess he's supposed to be bad, but it's Robert Redford. I yeah. like him, you know? And so I think it, it makes more sense to have had him in that role.
1: <laughs> I, I totally agree. And I, and I think, I mean, that's, that's really the genius of, of what Coppola did was it, it, every single person he cast in these, in these, uh, major roles, you say, well, who else could have done that?
0: Right. And didn't, I think it was like Kubrick that said it was the perfect movie cast of all time or something like that.
1: I believe it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because, it,
0: I mean, it really is.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, th- there were all these people who who wanted to play uh, Don Vito and, and Coppola had to push and push and push for Brando. And now obviously history, uh, you know proves that that was the right choice but really you look back on it and it's like you know because i know frank sinatra wanted to do it Mm -hmm. he he wanted and it's like uh, you know i can see a version of that because sinatra was not a bad actor but it wouldn't have been what brando did
0: yeah brando transformed himself into this character (laughs) in a way that i don't know that somebody else would have made that same choice and i guess part of why he had to transform himself is because people had an idea of who Marlon Brando was and he's difficult to work with and all that (laughs) other stuff. So he had to really prove, well, you know, despite all that, you need my talent. Um, I'm curious, like when you teach this class now, do, do students have any thoughts on Don Vito? Because I feel like it's so much a part of me growing up and knowing, you know, who that character is and having seen impressions of it, my whole life before I actually saw the movie, but it is like a really unique and different choice that he made in that role. Like, I mean, you can tell that he's wearing something to like transform his face and he's presenting the lines a certain way. Do they have any thoughts on that?
1: I mean, they don't because, you know, it's been long enough now where they don't know who Brando is. Gotcha. Right. I mean, that's it. And he's been, he's been dead for 15 years now. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's just they—they they know if they know of the Godfather, they know sort of the icon, but they don't know what Brando represented in that role.
0: Gotcha. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. So yeah. yeah, so when they see it, they're just like, "Oh, that's how he looks." <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like to us, it's like it, it looks like you know Christian Bale being uh, in Vice, you know. Yeah. So it's like. Right. We can tell that that's not how he looks. Yeah. And oh, okay, Randall, that's interesting. And, and
1: he was young. I mean, he was like uh, yeah. in his 40s, I think, when he made that movie.
0: Yeah, he was like around the same age as some of his sons in the movie or, you know, maybe five or six years older. Amazing. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I can't imagine anybody else doing that role at all. And I, I don't know much about the guy that he sort of based that character off of, Frank Costello. Do you know a lot about him or – have you heard like recordings of him? I, it made me want to go listen to him. To see.
1: I, I I haven't. Yeah. I I know okay. I I read about that as, as a point of reference, but I'm I'm curious uh, how much of the character was based specifically on a, a physicality and or how yeah. much or was it just a bounce off point and then he kind of created the character.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, i will have to find out someday, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um what uh what scene do you want to talk about next?
1: Oh my gosh. There's so many. Um, I, I I know, (laughs) well, I mean, you know, I I guess the the most obvious one that comes to mind is the, uh, the baptism scene. Uh,
0: at at the end, at the end.
1: Right. And that's, that's uh, where Michael, uh, comes into his own as the Don. Right. But, but I love how that entire sequence plays out against the backdrop of right before it, we have, um, Michael talking to his father, you know, for essentially the last time. And, and it's this great moment where, where the Don who's retired is like, he knows now that Michael is, is in charge. And he's like, I didn't want this. I didn't want this for you. I wanted something better. Like I did all this so that you wouldn't have to do this. Right. And, and it's, you know, it's funny. Cause, cause you know, the, the great thing about film is that the artifact stays the same, but our, the way we plug into the artifact changes based on who we are when we see it. And when I saw The Godfather for the first time, I was in my early 20s and, you know, I had, a, I was Michael, you know, dealing with my dad, you know, and then now I'm a father myself and, and I see myself in the dawn, you know, in terms of my hopes and aspirations for my children. And, you know, it's, it's interesting how, again, that scene is exactly the same, whether I watch it now or 20 years ago, but I'm different. And so I, I interface with it differently. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, definitely. That 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 makes sense. Um I don't have that same experience since I don't have kids. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but I, I do see it differently from the first time that I saw it just by getting older. Sure. You can, you know, relate a little bit differently to the characters. And um I was just thinking about how I, I watched some behind the scenes stuff and some other, you know, critiques on it and they were talking about that scene being added in actually. Like it's not in the it's not in the novel. And it was part of something that was sort of added to the script after the fact. Yeah. And I think that's interesting because I feel like without that scene, the next scene doesn't have the same impact at all. Yeah. I think you need that last conversation between the two of them, because a lot of the movie they've been, you know, at odds in the beginning and then he's been so sick and then he's finally better, but it's towards the end and he's realizing. And I think it really humanizes, uh, Vito for Michael. You yeah. know, he's seeing him in a completely different way, I think, for the first time.
1: And and it is, if I'm not mistaken, that's the only time in the whole movie where it's just the two of them having a conversation.
0: Mm, yeah. And and I think it's interesting, of course, it's jumping too far ahead, but the way that uh I guess the way that Don Vito dies, yeah. and then the way that uh Michael's character will pass on in the second one it's just so incredibly different and it's just interesting to watch that now and have those thoughts in mind of how how different his fate is going to be yeah like i wonder what vito would have thought of like you know what's going to end up happening to michael he probably didn't didn't or couldn't predict how different his fate was going to be yeah that's true yeah
1: yeah you know um and i and i think just just to pick up on what you're saying i mean i you know that scene that uh, culminates with with the don saying you know whoever comes to you with the deal he's going to be the traitor mm-hmm. and and i love that at the funeral it's it's um uh, what's his name tessio is like oh yeah i'm gonna make the deal right and and so michael's like oh it's tessio and he doesn't yeah and <laughs> and 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 uh, <laughs> and, and, uh tom hagan's like oh I thought it would have been Clemenza. Oh, well. Like, they they just kind of assume somebody's <laughs> going to be a traitor. And they're not surprised. They're not like, oh my gosh, not Sal, not Tessio. We grew up with him. No. Okay. He's the traitor.
0: I think that's what's so ironic about, like, the mafia in general. Like, the concept of it is just like, you know, that they're a family, that they never hurt one of their own. And yet they turn on each other so quickly. Yeah. I mean, literally, he hasn't done any he hasn't really like looked into it or anything. He's just taking his father at his word, like because he's his father. Yeah. But then he's turning on somebody he grew up with over very little, over. you know, it's, <laughs> he doesn't have proof. <laughs> you know? well, I guess and it, he's it, just like, Oh, well you're dead.
1: I guess it shows how implicitly he trusts his dad.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then how, how little those connections end up meaning, I guess, yeah. if you're not directly related.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the yeah. interesting thing is, is, I mean, even uh, if you are directly related, because obviously in the second one, I mean, he uh, he ultimately uh, has his brother killed. Yeah. You know, even even family doesn't mean anything. And I think I think that's you know when we look at the arc of Michael's descent, that's the that's the, where where he he loses everything to some extent, right? Because because his father is able to say, "Look, everything I did, I did to protect our family." Yeah, and and when Michael is at a point where he's willing to have his own brother assassinated, well, then what is it all for?
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. I think it's something that's uh, the, his arc is often duplicated in other films and other movies, but not as well. Yeah,
1: that's <laughs> true. You
0: know, I just think they they really nailed it uh, in this movie.
1: Yeah, um, I agree.
0: Uh, I something that I saw come up a lot that I completely missed when I was watching this was um, the oranges throughout the film yeah yeah, I never noticed the I guess the symbolism is that when you see them death is about is not too far behind exactly do you know like, where that comes from, or did they just pick oranges? I actually I, Was I, there
1: a reason? I, that's a good question. I, I've never uh, uh, dug into why specifically they made that choice, but I know that that was something Gordon Willis came up with as the DP. And, I mean, a, as a visual cue, it's subtle enough where it's not something that would distract you, mm-hmm. but it's something that's consistent enough where you say, well, clearly they put some thought into this.
0: Right. Yeah. Maybe just the fact that it's easy to recognize. It doesn't take a lot of explanation. And then you can just associate, like you said, sort of subtly, but maybe there's not like meaning to it being a specific type of fruit or anything.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and I think, you know, the, 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 there's, there's the, the hues are very rich and warm. And so, so it, it doesn't stick out as something that would be a distracting uh, mm-hmm. It sort of flows with the with the ethos, uh, the visual ethos that the that the movie creates.
0: Yeah. Uh, one other thing I kind of wanted, one other scene that I was thinking about and wanted to cover was, uh, him meeting and marrying Apollonia. Mm. I guess I have a question about it. Like, what do you think that whole part represents? Like, why is that uh, an arc in the movie? I mean, I know that he he runs away obviously because he's in hiding. And then I guess they're showing us that he's like in paradise while <laughs> the rest of his family is falling apart without him. But w- what do you think, Apollonia adds to the film? Like, why does he have this romantic encounter with her and stuff and marry her and all that?
1: I mean, I I think it, it's it's a couple of things, right? What we what we see, number one, is how easily he's willing to throw away his his life in America. And, and just you know, start over. He's he's that starstruck by her. But why is he starstruck by her? I mean, I mean, it's it's love at first sight. But it's not like he he spoke to her. The, you know, yeah. It's it's a very superficial reason for him to fall in love, and yet he does. But the other interesting thing is, look how quickly he uh, he slips into the mob boss role uh, when he's when he's attempting to court her.
0: Yeah, it's like disturbing because he went from his American girlfriend, that's really, you know, she's got her own agency. She's confident. She asks questions. She's, uh, she holds her own. Right. And then he goes into this world where he can get whatever he wants with just his name. Exactly. And just being simply just disrespected flips a switch in his brain to where he's like, Well, do you know who I am? Yeah. And I will marry her. Okay. And there's nothing you can do about it. And he's like, Okay then, (laughs)
1: and it's like it's interesting because because the scene when he's talking to her father, he tells uh, Fabrizio he says translate for me, and we know Michael can speak Italian.
0: Yeah, that's true. So
1: in other words, it's a power thing, right? He's sitting down. He's like, I don't need to speak to you in your language. You're going to speak to me in mine. Ugh.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, how quickly he just slips into that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it's like he. Yeah, he's, he throws his weight around and the, the other guy is helpless and has to give up his, his daughter that he loves so much yeah. and wants the best for. Her and But immediately they put this wedding together in like a couple of days that right. just speaks to his name. So I guess, yeah, you need that part of the movie because we've got to see him turn into the Dom, I guess.
1: Yeah, well, and, and I and, think, you know, I think when she is killed, that's the last sort of vestige of the old Michael going away.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. That part, that was a part of the movie that kind of surprised me. I, I sort of forgot about that scene. Mm. Like, I know she's not in the rest of the movie, but I couldn't remember what happened to her. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, at that part, I was like, oh, no, <laughs> when she. Died. Yeah. Um, And it's so violent and so surprising. Again, like, a lot of the. Those big scenes in the movie, I think they're they're like very shocking. They evoke an emotion out of you. They don't feel like, oh, this is an older movie, so this is the best they could do, or you know, right. it's very abrupt. It's like things are going well, suddenly something tragic happens.
1: Yeah, totally agree.
0: Um, yeah, and then he goes back to his life in America, and he's just like, I'm back, you
1: know. <laughs> so and that's and, and I it's think fine. this is where uh, Kay uh, suffers as a character because you talk about her yeah. having agency. She has agency up until Michael comes back.
0: She's just so in love with him yeah, yeah.
1: but it, it 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 you know I, th- I think this is the problem is that there is there's a time gap uh from the moment he returns to when he when he co- seeks her out i mean it's been
0: and he tells her that he's like oh yeah i've been back a few months or right. something it's <laughs> like wow really
1: <laughs> yeah and and i th- i mean i think i think what you say is really true like yes she's in love with him but i think i think that's the problem is like k ends the movie a weaker character than she starts as. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: guess maybe they were trying to to humanize the women Mm -hmm. in the movie because I feel like a lot of times with mob wives, I mean, you're just like, oh, they're just, you know, mob guys are bad and their wives are bad. Like you just kind of lump them all in. But really, you know, they're not enacting the violence and cruelty that their spouses are. So what would lead a woman to want to be a part of that and i guess in this movie at least the reason is just that she's in love with him yeah. and it almost feels like because he went away and didn't talk to her for a while it made her more desperate instead of you know why not just move on right because like they, they like she didn't need to wait for him she, had she has her own options. life yeah <laughs> so it's like hard to understand i mean he does sort of talk her into it though i mean he's he's like I, i'm back and i really love you yeah. and you know, everything's going to be fine and things are going to turn around in five years. And she just is so in love with the Michael that she met, I guess, she can't accept that he's different now, even knowing what he did.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And and, I mean, I think, I think also what it really highlights is how the role of women in this world is, uh, you know, I mean, they're uh, virtually uh, subjugated, you know,
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Because,
1: because, like, who are who are the main female characters? Well, we got okay, Kay. We got Connie, who who is a, a battered and screamed at. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we have we have Mama, who you know. The point I always make with Mama is, what's Mama's name? I don't know. <laughs> she doesn't have a name. She's yeah, Mama.
0: It's got that weird double edged like. You know, it, it feels like their society is a little bit matriarchal, and yet they have zero power. Yeah, you know, they're, they're they're always talked about and respected, and oh, your wife and your kids and your family, but then they're so secondary to everything else.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, and clearly, I mean, I mean, Sonny has has no problem cheating on his wife.
0: Oh yeah, you
1: know, and I, I mean, I
0: think it's also there's pressure too because there's that scene too where like. um, Michael's wife calls him and she's like, I love you. And he can't even say, I love you to her. That's right. In front of his family. It's a real big, like, macho pressure. You know, you can be around these women, but they can never control you. They can never, they can't boss you around. They can't make you look weak for a second. And I feel like the cheating and all that stuff is just part of that. You know? And
1: to that point, I mean, I think it's very telling that the one time in the entire movie where Michael loses his cool completely. Is at the very, very end when Kay is like, "Just tell me if it's true." Yeah, like you know, he he he's so buttoned down. The one time he just explodes, it's over this thing, which he lies to her, and she knows he's lying. Mm-hmm. To her. Like she's like, "Is it true?" He's like, "No," and she's like, "Oh, thank God." She knows it's true. Of course, she knows it's true.
0: Right, but I feel too like he, uh, you know, this is his final ascension moment too, yeah. because even with her he's going to, everyone has to do what he says now. He just controls everybody. And it's about that control. And anytime it slips when she's like, Hey, I'm questioning you. I'm not going to be like your peons that say whatever you want, but I'm asking you as your equal, you know, what's the truth. And then that's when he explodes on her and is like, you're not equal to me. No one is. Don't don't, uh,
1: convince yourself you're on the same footing.
0: Right. And and I think uh, what you're talking about, like the, the role of women in this film uh, is an interesting point, because I think growing up and just, you know, having a lot of female friends, um, they uh, do not like mob movies. Huh. A lot of women do them. Um, I've even uh, there was a comedian, uh, I think, a year or two ago on Twitter that was saying uh, he heard he heard a guy call Goodfellas like a male fantasy. And he was like what, how do you get that out of that movie? How do you, whose fantasy is that, you know, to, to live this self-destructive horrible lifestyle. Uh, But I do think sometimes a lot of women look at these movies and see the way women are treated in them. And even the characters being secondary. And they kind of, they almost assume like, Oh, this is saying that's okay. But I guess the reason why I like it a lot is because I don't think that's what it's saying. And also, you know, these characters are in their world with all these rules and it's interesting to watch people in that sort of environment and how they operate and how they, how they act, how they get out of things, how they, how they have to assimilate to it. And so I never really look at it that way. I never, I've never looked at these mobster movies as like, Oh, these are saying it's okay to be mean to women or kill people. You know, it's yeah. like, no, I feel like if you walk away with that message, you watched a different movie. That's on you. you- yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's sort of like watching, you know, Fight Club, and being like, "I want to start a Fight Club." Right? I'm like, did you miss the ending of that movie, or you know, it's right. like, and that's that's I do think that there is a thing that happens where people watch these kind of movies and they walk away with the wrong message. But yeah, I just wanted to express that that is definitely not what I got out
1: of it. But yeah, and, and I, I, mean, I do. Yeah. It's it you know it's a more of a walk to say, "Oh, uh, this is a wish fulfillment thing," because everything textually in the film is saying that Michael Corleone is going down the wrong path, that where he ends up is not where anyone wants to be, that he sold his soul, that he, you know, it's, it's all in the film. Mm
0: -hmm. So it's weird. Especially that ending where he's, you know, you know, the, the communion and everything he's saying uh, is the exact opposite of what's happening. He's like, being cool, calm, and collected and saying he renounces Satan while yeah. his people are shooting all the leaders of the gangs. Um and that's, you know, just that juxtaposition makes it really intense. It's like, man, what a liar. Yeah, you I know? mean
1: he's he's sacrificing his <laughs> eternal soul in that moment. Yeah. You know, and, and I think I think uh when you when you flash forward to the very end of, of the first film, I mean what more perfect ending is there than you know, we have we have uh, you know, Kay's POV as the door is shut in her face. I mean, it's if they had never made another Godfather after the first one, you've still got a an absolutely perfect movie, uh, beginning, middle, and end.
0: I totally agree, and I I think a lot of that comes also from the writing. You know, Mario Puzo's book. He also did the screenplay along with Francis Ford Coppola, yeah. and then I think a third person came in and. Cleaned it up a little bit. Uh, But one thing that he changed was he took the best parts of his book. And he put them in the movie and by making it a smaller world, like we talked about earlier about the father and the son, I think that made it such a, sh- a much stronger story. You know, there's not a lot of distractions. We don't get to know a lot of the other characters intimately the way that we know Michael and yeah. his father. And I think that that's a good idea. You can have a ton of people in the movie. Like if you ask me all the names of the characters of the mobsters in this film, I couldn't tell you, <laughs> but I think that's by design, right? Because we don't care about all the other characters as much and that's okay um but yeah i like i like that about it and i had read too that um that the director uh, francis ford coppola wanted the 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 title of the film to be the godfather by mario puzo well yeah i mean um, uh,
1: mario puzo's the godfather and that and, and oh yeah yeah, that's and, right. yeah and that's what if you notice Every time Coppola has made a movie based on a preexisting work, he does that. So, there's it's, that's so cool. It's it's a neat thing that that you know it's interesting because like because like uh, what's the John Carpenter Stephen King movie? Is it? Uh, I think it's Christine. Uh, right?
0: Christine, right. yeah, and that's yeah. John
1: Carpenter's Christine, mm-hmm. and I'm always like, well, it's not; it's Stephen King's Christine, you know.
0: <laughs> and- <laughs> yeah, I think there's a tendency for directors to like like a book and go, "This is this has potential. I'm going to make it better." Right. And I just think it's cool that Francis Ford Coppola goes, "No, this is a good story. He came up with it. It's his baby. It's his baby. I'm bringing it to life." Yeah, he's yeah, like, "I'm
1: like I'm shepherding Mario's story." So it's Mario Puzo's The Godfather. It's John Grisham's The Rainmaker. It's Bram Stoker's Dracula
0: yeah yeah i thought of that immediately when i saw that i was like oh yeah like dracula (laughs) It's another one of my favorites (laughs) uh that one along with apocalypse now um fantastic yeah (laughs) um but yeah yeah i wanted to to touch on that for sure um let's see another thing i wanted to talk about this is my last thing and then and then i'll give it back over to you sorry you just picked such a good movie (laughs) (laughs) i'm
1: happy to discuss whatever you think yeah
0: um the scene in with the wedding uh was shot at night and they had to use lighting to make it look like day i had no idea could not tell at all i
1: I would never have known that that. i would never have known that
0: yeah, it's like wow. It's just interesting what what they can come up with, you know, the team can come up with when they're under such pressure. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that just sounds like a an, a terrible idea. Like let's make it daylight um <laughs> make it the middle of the day a, a summer wedding. It's like, huh? But then when you watch the movie, you have no idea that that, that wasn't the case well, and, at all. You know,
1: I mean, <laughs> the other interesting thing about that wedding is that you see the value of having somebody who is uh, ethnically appropriate making the film because because you- You have to be Italian to just, you can feel that this is what an Italian wedding would be like.
0: Right. Yeah. And I think the whole movie, there's so many scenes where they're in like a crowded kitchen or they're at a dinner table. There's always babies screaming the whole movie. And I thought that's such an interesting choice because I do think that if it wasn't made by an Italian director. I think they would leave that part out because I, I mean, I can't speak to every mob movie that came before it, but I don't think you see that a lot in other movies. You start seeing it after that. They start really, you know, integrating Italian culture into that world. And it, it helps you understand a little bit more about, the whole family dynamic uh, you don't get a sense of that without seeing the weddings and the, the meals and all that stuff too. Yeah.
1: I mean, even, you know, the, there's the, the bit where, you know, you're talking earlier about when Michael is uh, on the phone with Kay and she's like, tell me you love me. And then he's like, oh, I gotta go. And, you know, and, and is uh, like, why don't you tell her you love her? And then he's like, Hey, come here, I'm going to show you how to make this. And he's, he's like uh, showing them like a meatball recipe or something. And, and that's mm-hmm. something Coppola talks about. He's like, I just in each of the, the Godfather movies, he wanted to put in an Italian food recipe.
0: <laughs> oh, really? Oh, that's awesome. So, oh, okay. So then I have to tell you this. So watching this movie this last time made me so hungry. It's <laughs> like the whole movie. because it and I, and I told Nick, I said, you know, what would be a good idea is to cook a meal around this movie and like, I mean it's long enough to where you could do like appetizers and a salad and then you could have dinner and oh, then you man. could have dessert and coffee at the end. <laughs> and I said that to one of my friends and he said, "Oh my god, I've always wanted to do that." So we're doing that like that would be heck <laughs> I mean of fun. my little group of friends were having a, a godfather feast while we watched it. That sounds
1: so. like a good time. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, I, I don't know what I'm going to make yet because I'm not a great cook, but <laughs> luckily the people hosting it are good. Well, there cooks, you go. So we'll see. <laughs> but yeah, sorry, cut you off. What were you about to no, say? No, I mean,
1: but but the, the, those are like these little pieces of of culture that are infused throughout the movie. And it's stuff where you're not, you're not watching it and you're not necessarily aware at that moment of what's happening. Like, oh, I see what Coppola is doing. No, but it's just like this little thing that adds – uh, it, it adds richness and texture and reality and makes us feel more like we are a part of this world.
0: Yeah, definitely. Speaking of that too. So when I was researching this movie, I was watching some, I, you know, there was a video that popped up that was like the real story or something like that. And I watched it and I didn't have any idea about their conflicts with the mob or uh, the Italian activist group, all that stuff that was happening while they were making the movie. I thought that was, it's almost like the background, you know, the the story of just making the movie is almost just as interesting as the movie itself. Um, Because I had mentioned, you know, in a tweet. And so it's just funny to go back and read that now after I read this part or saw this part, but um, you know, I, I thought there is a part of me that watches these movies and thinks, you know, what's it like to be Italian And to have like most Italian movies be about the mob, you know, to the point where you associate somebody in a suit with uh, or an Italian guy in a suit with being a a gangster. And uh, when I was watching the behind the scenes, you know, they were talking about how that was a big issue. But then ironically, the leader of this activist group was a mob boss. And just (laughs) I thought that was so interesting.
1: I mean, it, it is interesting that, you know, that's something we think of more today like Italian-American groups being upset. Uh, You know, we think of that as affiliated with like the Sopranos and stuff. But it's like even back then, even in the 70s, that was an ongoing concern.
0: Right. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, and I think that, you know, the whole thing was started with good intentions, but then because the mob actually took over that activist group, it became something else. It was just a vehicle for them to say, don't talk about it, don't worry about it um and even when i was watching this this story it was so skewed towards that that i was like is this really what happened or is this also sort of a you know what i mean like putting i don't know is is it too um one-sided right. you know because it was like uh, i think the point of view of somebody that's not italian talking about the italian mafia being involved with you know this activist group but then i looked it up and no the the main leader of it was arrested so it was definitely part of it um yeah and it's like yeah it's weird it's like it is sort of a a stereotype but at the same time i i think it was approached very well by francis ford coppola like you're saying because he's italian and he's approaching it from his point of view um that's why it, it wasn't you know terrible yeah i mean
1: when you think about it i mean i mean the 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 archetype of the movie gangster before the godfather was like jimmy cagney and and Mm kind of you know white heat and that kind of thing and and the godfather fundamentally shook up the snow globe i mean after the godfather there it's like pre and post
0: every
1: every mob movie since the godfather is either trying to evoke it or trying to contrast with it but but the the you know the 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 uh, focal point of gravity fundamentally changed after the godfather
0: yeah oh and i found it was the italian civil rights league that's right um and they they sent like death threats huh to the people making the movie, you know, they, they were like, you have to stop. You can't make this movie. We're going to kill you. Which I would be like, okay, I'm done. Right. <laughs> but they were, they rose to the occasion and challenged it. And then eventually it ended with sitting down with them in person and showing them the script. And uh, you know, the, the two, the two gangsters that they're sitting down with were like, "Oh, well, how long is this? And they're like, well, oh, it's like, you know, 173 pages, something like that uh or 163 and they said well uh, why don't you read it you know to the <laughs> other guy looks at it and he's like well uh, why don't you just remove the words mafia and cosa nostra and we'll call it even. yeah and they were like okay we can do that and then ironically when the movie was actually shown you know they were upset the mob was upset that they weren't invited to the premiere and they were they were kind of like, well, you know, if you made a movie about like heroic firemen or something, they would be invited. It's like, yeah, but you guys are the mob. You guys are <laughs> the mob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so they had to have like another screening of just them. That's, <laughs> you know? but that's, they loved it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like you're saying, I mean, the, the behind the scenes stories are just as uh, uh, engaging as as the the what we what we got on camera.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, was there another scene or uh, another couple of things you wanted to touch on?
1: Uh, well, just uh, in in a in a broad sense, I mean, I think I think when you w- you know what I said at the beginning, like when we look at this story as how a good man becomes a bad man, it's really it's the template that so many movies since have tried to follow, and they never mm-hmm. quite meet that mark. You know, I always say like, imagine if Anakin Skywalker's fall was had the impact of uh, Michael Corleone. You know. Yeah. Uh, it's.
0: Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, it,
1: to me, it's it's one of those great pieces of drama. Just uh, it's completely separate from The Godfather, right? Where where we see characters who are prisoners of destiny, where mm-hmm. we know how things have to end up, whether because it's based on you know a historical event or because that's just the nature of drama. And so the tragedy of it, as we're watching it, and we see all those moments where that where our lead character could sort of pull out of the descent. Uh, yeah. but they don't. And then, and then it ends inevitably, you know?
0: Yeah. And, and interesting that his father towards the end of the movies is, is like, this isn't worth it, you know, losing all these sons and yeah. everything we've been through. Let, let's put this behind us. And then Michael goes the complete I, 180 that, degree opposite. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and by the way, that, yeah. that moment is so great. When, um when the dawn. You know, the, it, it, we pay off the moment, the very beginning when he's talking to the the mortician and he says, you know, one day and this day may never come, but I'm going to ask a service of you, you know, and we're, yeah. we're watching, we're like, oh, he's probably going to have him kill somebody or whatever. And it's like, no, no, he just, he says, just fix up my son. I, I don't want his mother to see him like this, you know? And
0: yeah. And I feel like it highlights too, just how much they keep their family in the dark. I mean, their family knows what they're doing. Yeah. But it's like, that's their son yeah. that she has to see like that and know that it is in part his doing, you know, right. that they gave them that life, they gave them that world. And it's this really ugly side of it that all these weddings and dinners and stuff, it's sort of pretending like that stuff's not happening. They're not even allowed to talk about sure. it at the table. Yeah. And then that moment is like, it's hard to disguise what happened at that point, yeah. you know, right. I mean, or whatever he wants. But this at this moment, it's like it's real huh. it's you know amazing.
1: it's yeah. it's i mean the, the the performance by by marlon brando in that scene uh, when he says look look at how they massacre my boy i mean it, it's it, it's heart wrenching you know and and i think i think oh. i think the genius of the film is that we never see the don as anything other than a loving kindly old man even though we know everything he's a part of
0: yeah it's it's i I think there are other movies that have tried to show that sort of you know that people are complicated yeah. that they have more than one size we kind of want to think that if somebody's in the mob that they are just this evil to the core person, like you've mentioned earlier, more like a uh, scarface yeah, right, right? <laughs> because that's easier to digest I think, but to have to see that they have a family that they that they love them, um is harder i think yeah. you know and so having to see the dom as a real person and, and you're right we don't really see him being ruthless i mean he says things or he gives commands but we don't really see yeah. that i mean we, we,
1: see, we see i mean in the second one in flashbacks we see sort of his descent you know but yeah. not in this one in this one he's just kindly uh, marlon brando
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so true. And he, and he contrasts everyone around him. Um, Oh, you know, I, I kind of wanted to touch a little bit on Robert Duvall's character, Tom Hagen. So I feel like he's a complicated character a little bit because, you know, in the beginning, he's introduced as a brother, right. Even though they're obviously not related, but in the context of being in the mafia, like, I, I don't know. What do you think about his motivations and his role in the film, like why, why do you think he's there? And, you know, what is the importance of that character? I mean,
1: I I think Tom is really interesting because, because his loyalty is, is to the family because that, you know, uh, he's been raised with them. So, you know, he, he says it, he says it to Sonny, right. I'm, uh, I'm, you know, I think of him as uh, I'm, I'm as much a son to him as, as your Mike, you know, as far as Tom is concerned, as far as uh, the, the other brothers are concerned, he's, he has more of a role than Connie. You know, that's kind of interesting when you look at the patriarchal role.
0: Uh, oh yeah, and it's not typical, right? Like, there's usually they're usually never outside the exactly,
1: family, right? So he they, so he has a very special role in that, and I think I think uh, it's you know what we see in the tension between uh, uh, Tom and Sonny is that Tom is. Uh, more clear eyed about what uh, the Don would want. And Sonny, you know, I mean, I mean, Sonny's not listening to him, right? He's Sonny's insulting him. He's like, pop head, Jenko, look what I got. I got you, you know, like uh, you're not a real counselor, you know? And
0: Yeah. And I think he like, he wants to be better than his dad. Yeah. He's like in competition with him, whereas Tom isn't and Michael isn't. But you, know? you know, I mean, and that's kind of the difference.
1: It, I think Sonny, it's really interesting because Sonny is very, He's very Donald Trump. Yeah, right. It's <laughs> a good way. Yeah, to put I mean, it. you know, I think number one, Sonny is 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 uh, feeling constantly like I am going to be compared with my father, and I am not as like him, right? And then mm-hmm. he he knows his own weaknesses, but he doesn't have the wisdom to work around them. And <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and and I mean, when we see, look, Sonny's death is because of him being so predictable yeah family.
0: i guess in the same way
1: it i mean they knew if we if we pull a little here if we push a little here Sonny will do this we know what's going to happen and and that's that's very trumpish
0: yeah and 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 it kind of reminds me of like in goodfellas yeah. or casino like you know uh joe pesci's he character totally. where it's like you see you see him right away going oh that's not going to yeah, end well right. this can't go on forever yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it never does that's exactly right yeah. <laughs> Yeah, being hot-headed around a bunch of people with guns—not not, uh, not good a good idea. plan. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, let's see. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to, to kind of no, touch? No, I on? think we covered
1: it. We covered a lot of ground.
0: I feel like we did. We did. Yeah, it's impossible to break down every single scene, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll I'll I'll, I'll uh, send some videos for people to to go ahead and do that because I you know I love to it. It's fun. You could take almost any scene in this movie and just spend time with it, but. I agree. Yeah, yeah. uh well then let's go on to our last couple of questions uh what keeps you coming back to this movie
1: oh man that is you know honestly uh i love being able to experience it with audiences who've never seen it before
0: mm, i need to see it in theaters it's one thing i haven't done yet <laughs>
1: yeah that's i i've missed out on that i mean i get to sh- show it on a big screen in my in my classes but seeing it with a crowd that's into it that would be really something
0: yeah. Because this last time I felt, you know, the movie does kind of command your attention yeah. and uh, I I felt myself being distracted. It was like during the day, you know, my dogs are running Sorry. around, I was doing other things. And I, I thought this is frustrating. I'm not going to watch this like this again. <laughs> I want to see it. I think the next time I see it, I need to see it in a the theater because you just lose some of the impact yeah. from the story. If you're not 100% plugged in the whole time, I think you should be. So that would be my recommendation to someone that hasn't seen it before. Uh, what's your recommendation to someone that's never seen it? before? I
1: would say watch it uh, uh, uninterrupted if you're able to, and then watch it right away again mm-hmm. with the commentary from Francis Ford Coppola.
0: Ooh, and that's something I haven't done. I watched uh, quite a few um, interviews with him, but man, I need to I need to watch it again. I mean, that, that guy.
1: Is, you know, it's it's yeah. it's a, it's unfortunate that. Uh, He's not necessarily thought of today the the way he was at his at his peak, you know. Um, yeah. But he has so much going on. I mean, there, there's there's such a, an intellectual weight to his thinking, and so to hear him. Right i mean again it's it's it is without a doubt one of the most perfect commentary tracks i've ever heard because it's like sitting next to francis coppola and he's just pointing stuff out to you and it's it's uh it's uh, obviously he goes heavily into the technical but he also goes heavily into his own emotional journey making the film and just really it's it's uh, open and honest and and when you go through all three films you know it's uh to a large extent he uh, uh associates himself with Michael Corleone in terms of the journey that the character goes on and so when we oh. when we get to the third film which is uh, it was not well received i i like the third godfather but i'm in the minority um it 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 you know he sort of he he opens a vein to us and he he shares uh not only his process making that movie but also his his emotional process of dealing with the reaction to that movie
0: yeah Wow. Yeah, that's that's heavy. I need to yeah. see that.
1: I <laughs> highly, highly I can't recommend yeah. it enough. I tell I tell my partner Brian on my show the same thing. I'm like, you gotta watch Godfather with the commentary.
0: Isn't that interesting though that he made like pretty much the most perfect movie of all time and yet we don't think of him yeah. the same way as we used to as we a do, director? Right? Like that's that's sad. Yeah, and I mean I love you know, Apocalypse Now I think is universally thought as perfect as well, but I also really like Bram Stoker's Dracula a lot.
1: I and agree.
0: I don't know. I, I can see, I can see some of the parallels between like the way they humanized Dracula in that film, yes. too. You yeah. know, and the way that they humanize the mobsters in this movie. I think he just did that so well. Yeah, and, and um, I mean, I, making people. Really- I, I
1: think uh, to me, Francis Coppola is too unique of voice to just sort of be ignored and that's sort of it it it, mm-hmm. it frustrates me you know I I uh, uh, he was he was at a film festival in like uh, Dubai or something like that this maybe a year or so ago and he he was talking about um, he was talking about uh, Islam and Muslims and you know obviously as, as a Muslim I'm always very cognizant of how how Muslim characters are portrayed in the film and and he here he was uh reading a passage from the Quran and translating it as he went so he mm-hmm. from memory
0: oh wow from
1: memory he's like you know
0: wow. the Quran
1: says this and he's just reading several verses and i was like i was i was amazed at the 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 fact that he had internalized that and was actually using it as an an opportunity to say look at uh the wisdom here you know and and to me that's the type of person that Coppola has always struck me as, as somebody who really Uh, tries to have his art mean something more than just something temporal, you know?
0: Well, and I think, you know, a lot of my favorite directors like Kubrick or Nolan um, are often described as sort of like cold and distant. Mm -hmm. I think Francis Ford Coppola is the opposite of that where, you know, everything is very, it's very empathetic and emotional. And, and that's a strength in his movies. It's not, you know, just tugging at your heartstrings kind of stuff. It's, it's real, Real empathy, yeah. and I think that that makes sense that that he would be that kind of person yeah. in real life. I It's totally really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, awesome, Zachy. Thank you for coming back. Oh, been <laughs> I, I, it's been a long time uh, yeah.
1: Well, you know, if if you ever want to talk Godfather too, please uh, uh, put me on speed dial.
0: Yes, I would love to, and I, I love your I love your show. And go ahead and plug your. Uh, where people can find you and all that good stuff because oh, uh, i'm an avid listener of that too oh thank you
1: well well my, my website is com. that's the a-k-i-s corner that's also my twitter that's also my instagram you can also uh listen to my uh two podcasts i have the movie film podcast that i co-host with my partner brian hall who is a writer for the disney junior show puppy dog pals and we talk new releases and we have interviews with with the filmmakers etc and then uh the nostalgia theater show which is once a month and it's my interviews with the The people who made the things we love, and uh, the 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 famous fans, and uh, you know, Lisa. Last time I was on with you, we talked about Planet of the Apes, and the next uh, nostalgia theater yes. show is my interview with Dana Gould, who is a writer, producer, <gasps> uh, comedian, who's also a huge Planet of the Apes fan, and so we talked about oh, good, we talked about the fiftieth anniversary of that movie. Um,
0: oh, that's yeah, awesome. and
1: and uh, uh, I'm I'm all around, and uh, you know, I, I hope people will will uh, seek me out.
0: Yeah, I love I love your Thank show, you. and then th- that way you get to hear some of Zachy's impressions too, which I also love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, so awesome, and you know, I I look forward to having you back, and 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 yeah, we have to, any any time, any time, just hit me up. I'd love to. That's have awesome. You back. Thank you. Have you too. One.
1: Thank you so much.